Welcome to Ottawa Valley Community Church, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. So here we are, we're in the middle of Advent, and we're wanting to uh, look at the the key elements of, of this story of the birth of Jesus and take from them uh, things that are probably going to hopefully enrich us and, uh, and grow us a little bit. Uh, what Gordon Trish read earlier, um, at the heart of it is this uh, beautiful couple of verses from verse 35 to 38. I'm just going to read them for us and we're going to just uh, springboard off of them and, uh, and make some observations. Um, this is an angel speaking to Mary and he just says this, he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And what I want us to see in this text is this uh, incredible tension between uh, Mary who understands uh, that something is happening in her life according to God's will and at the same time holding that intention with her responsibility uh, to walk out uh, that call uh, in faithfulness. Um, in almost everything in life, uh, there's that kind of tension. Uh, there's almost always uh, a ditch on either side of a road and we're meant to sort of keep somewhere in the middle and this uh, challenge that the church has had uh, for centuries of sort of holding itself in the middle of the road between um, God's sovereignty and trusting in that and our responsibility and walking in faithfulness uh, is, is a great challenge. Um, on one side, on, on one part of the ditch, if you have a, a view of God's sovereignty, or if you're not a believer and you have a, a deterministic view of the universe that everything has sort of happened when the Big Bang happened and uh, molecules and atoms were sent spinning out into the universe and everything just happens according to physics and chemistry. If you have that view of the universe or a view that says God is fully in control of everything and don't uh, carry weight in your heart around the idea of human responsibility. Um, you can have um, uh, a broken way of living and a broken way of walking. We need to see a hum us as humans, as actors, uh, and, and people who make things happen in God's world. And the way that works for us, if we're people who have a high view of God's sovereignty without having a high view of human responsibility, um, and if we, if we have that view but have lots of wealth and power in our lives, we can uh, have that affect us in a certain way. We can become uh, indulgent. We can become permissive with ourselves. We can become... Uh, have a sense of entitlement that sort of says, hey, yeah, God's blessed me. He's, he's done amazing things in my life. He's given me this, uh, this gift. He's given me this wealth. He's given me this business. He's given me this property. He's given me uh, all of this sort of stuff. And, uh, and, I, and you can just sort of take what uh, is coming to you in life and you can sort of take it with a sense of, yeah, I can just take pleasure in this amazing abundance that the Lord has given me without bearing a lot of responsibility for what you can do with it. If, on the other hand, you have this high view of responsibility or of, of the sovereignty of God, but you have no wealth or power, um, you can live indulgently, uh, a different kind of indulgently, 
with indulging in a sense of victimhood and then indulging in a sense of, oh, poor me, this is just happening to me. Oh, oh my life is so out of control. Um, we don't have to make uh, the necessary uh, moral decisions to bring transformation in our lives because the devil did it to me or because uh, the circumstances are just happening to me and I don't really have a choice about how I handle what's going on in the world. So that ditch of living with a high sense of sovereignty without a high sense of responsibility uh, can really shipwreck us. And, and it's quite amazing. I saw uh, such an illustration of this. I was in my 20s. I was um, uh, pastoring a church in Toronto and I was doing a baptismal class. It was a big, bigger church and there were 30 people in the baptismal class and we had a whole spectrum of people in the class. There were some people who were uh, there who were sort of the classic suburban professionals that live in Toronto. And there were some there that were from the street mission in downtown Toronto, a mission called Followers Mission. And it was amazing uh, going around the story. Uh, we had this one guy in the group, he was sort of a high level guy in the finance world, uh, in investment, uh, had quite a lot of wealth and, and everybody was supposed to give their testimony in this moment. And so he gives his testimony like this. He's like, man, uh, it, it, it's amazing. God has just blessed me so much in my life. I just knew I had to give something back. Um, I asked God to show me a sign, like if he was real, and this house that we really wanted uh, to buy that my wife and I had been looking at down by the lake, you know what a house along the lake in Toronto is worth, right? And, and, and God just put it up for sale, and we were just able to buy it, and I just knew then I had to become a Christian, right? That blessing is what is that thing. Yeah, God is just sovereign. He just blesses me. And we go through the row, and I'm seeing the guys from Followers Mission, you know, who are addicts and living on the, on the street, who are hearing this rich guy's story. And the addict sort of begins to talk like this as he's sharing his testimony. Um, you know, uh, I just keep stumbling, man. God just won't take my addiction away. Uh, the devil is really on me. He's just keeping me down, and I, I, I can't get past this, and I just can't get clean. Every time I turn around, someone's offering me dope. God won't let me free. I, I figure if I get baptized, maybe God will set me free. He's got a fundamental sense that his life is out of control, that uh, the, the sovereignty of God is not working for him in the way that it should or ought to work. And I realized I've got this rich man and this poor man who have exactly the same theology. A high, high view of the sovereignty of God, but not a sense of the responsibility to act and live in a certain way as human beings. Um, so that's kind of what the overemphasis on, on a sovereignty of God. I shouldn't say there's a problem with overemphasis. I don't think you can overemphasize the sovereignty of God, but I think you can emphasize it without carrying the other side uh, properly. Um, so God sort of doesn't do the stuff that we need him to do, or he creates a set of conditions where we can just be indulgent and totally serve ourselves. But if, on the other hand, we have a view of responsibility, a view that uh, we are to uh, be obedient and we are to be faithful and we are to do the things that we're called to do uh, without having a sense of the sovereignty of God and him at work in the world, there's another ditch on the other side. If we have wealth and power and believe that we're responsible uh, for everything that's happening in our lives, what happens to us? We become prideful, we become puffed up, we become uh, self-assured, we become uh, confident in our own abilities and confident in our own wealth. And when we see those things fail, our faith is shattered, isn't it? Or we become bombastic people that others can't relate to or can't connect with. 
So there's that error on that side. If we have a high view of our responsibility without an understanding of God's sovereignty, and you have no wealth and power, everything's your responsibility and things aren't going well for you. Uh, you can have a sense of frustration that uh, you've failed, that you've uh, made, made mistakes, that you haven't done everything you ought to do. You can become a person who is under guilt. You can become a person who is under shame. And you can be bound also in that way if you don't see the sovereign plan of God working. So you see the two ditches on either side. If you have a high view of God's sovereignty, there's danger for you if you're not holding it in tension with the gift of, uh, God, of responsibility. And if you have a high view of responsibility without an understanding of sovereignty, you carry the word, word, weight of the world on your shoulders and you become isolated and independent and, uh, and are broken in that way. And so what I want us to take from this is that you need to have both. You need to have a high view of the sovereignty of God a high view of his power working in the world around you and working through you, of his Holy Spirit moving things in the world, and a, and a high view of your responsibility to be an actor in this story. So here's what our, our, our sort of anchoring thought is, is that I don't, I don't think God wants you to be in either ditch, right? But it's possible as people uh, to carry a tremendous sense of responsibility for the world around us and for what we're supposed to do in it. And at the same time, understand that God has gloriously chosen us and empowered us and wants to work alongside of us and we're supposed to work our butts off while he's doing that. We're supposed to carry both of those things. So here's a question just for you, to, to, just to make it personal. Is there any chance that you are leaning towards one of those ditches? in your life? Is there any chance that you're leaning towards that sense of, yeah, I'm entitled, uh, God is in control of my life, uh, so I am just, I'm just blessed and living oblivious to the needs of the world around me? Or maybe you uh, have a high view of the sovereignty of God and you're just a victim and everything's happening to you and you can't get past your addiction and everybody else is to blame for what's going on in your life and, uh, and you're not really holding up your end of the bargain. Is that, is that a ditch that you're flirting with as a person? Or are you possibly flirting with the other ditch? Like, it's all on you, man. It's all on you. And you just have to buck up little camper and do everything that you're supposed to do and hope that something maybe works out in the end. Which, which ditch do you, do you struggle with? I think what we're going to learn today from just a glance at Mary's story, uh, it, we're going to see someone who holds those things in, in kind of perfect tension. She holds the sovereignty of God in tension with her responsibility in the world. And what we're going to see uh, from her story, and in particular her poem at the end of it, what we call the Magnificat, Mary's sort of exclamation of praise that comes out of her after she's had a meeting with her cousin Elizabeth, is that she has some things in her heart, some things that she believes that allows her to hold those things in tension and to walk in a healthy way. Um, so just for a second, let's just look at Mary's story. This, uh, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called uh, the Son of God. Note the three wills there. 
Uh, first, uh, what, what you can see here is you can see this expression of the sovereignty of God in the Trinity, what, right? The Holy Spirit will. The Most High, Father God, will uh, overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born will be called the Holy Son of God. So here's another uh, passage that we have, just as a side note, for anybody who's sort of saying, yeah, the Trinity, that's just not really actually in the scriptures. We see it all over the place. We keep running into them, where all of a sudden you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit uh, in the same verse uh, doing something amazing. But you have this experience that Mary has had where an angel has come. He's interrupted in her life, and he's, she's, he said these wills to her. These things will happen. Uh, I don't see any verses where she's consulted about this thing, <laughs> right? She's not sort of, uh, sort of given a, a chance, hey, Mary, you know, do you really want to uh, do this? Because I've got a couple of other candidates, and uh, there's a bit of an interview process here. If you could submit your resume, um, I want to know that you're going to be a really good mom, and you're going to take care of things, and that you're going to uh, be really faithful. And, uh, and then if you sign on it, we've got a contract here. You'll be paid this much. It's going to work out like this. Uh, so, so this is kind of a mutual agreement between you and I, and we'll just walk this contract out together. That's, that's not what we see in the text at all. This angel just totally interrupts her and, and, and comes and, and gives this incredible uh, story to her and this incredible responsibility. Um, in Matthew's telling of the story, um, Matthew's using really big language um, in, in verse uh, one eighteen, In chapter 1, verse 18 in Matthew, it says, uh, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Well, the word birth there, we just read his birth like he was born in a manger. Matthew uses a, a word for birth that's unusual in the ancient world. He uses this word genesis. This is how the genesis of Jesus came about. This is how the Genesis came about. What he's doing is he's pointing back to uh, the book of Genesis, chapter 1, and he's saying, hey, this is a reboot. This is a full reboot. I created uh, the world, and, and, and things were messed up. And he gives a genealogy in the beginning of the book of Matthew that sort of outlines the whole broken story of Israel. Comes to this moment where he's introducing the birth of Jesus and said, this is the new Genesis. This is the new beginning. This is the sovereign work of God, a pivotal moment in history. And it's given to this teenage girl, Mary, to be the focal point of it and to walk it out with him. Um, in the book of Luke, uh, he uh, says it this way. He signals a Genesis story this way. And the power of the Holy Spirit uh, will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. We see uh, Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse, verse 2, the second verse in the scriptures reflected here. And the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. It's the Holy Spirit hovering over Mary, bringing about his genesis. Um, and, and then we see this um, place of the Trinity in the story. Let us make man in our own image in Genesis 1.26. So Luke is signaling something really big here, something really sovereign. And it's centered around this person, Mary. She's heard very clearly about something that is going to happen to her absolutely out of her control. Something that God is doing to her. She's not been consulted. This is 100% a sovereign act of God. This is also something that is 100% something that Mary's responsible for. You don't get more responsible for something than you are when you're carrying a child inside of you. I haven't done that, 
but I'm guessing some moms in the room would testify. You don't get more responsible for something than you are as a mother for a child. And here we have the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit present in Mary's womb. And this human teenage girl is responsible uh, to carry him. It's 100% her responsibility. She'll carry God inside of her body. She will give birth to him. She will place him in a manger and wrap him in swaddling clothes. She will teach him to walk. She will change his diapers. She will protect him. He will learn the language from her. She will be right by his side, serving with him for 33 years of ministry. 33 years of ministry. We see her at the wedding at Cana, making sure that he's on top of his social graces. He needs to know that there needs to be enough wine at this party. And Mama's going to teach him. As she's with him all through his ministry. We see her at the Sermon of the Mount. We see her, um, uh, we see her, you know, observing the miracles. We see her coming with Jesus' brothers, and and trying to interact with him when he's in the middle of a crowd. She walks with him through the whole thing, and then the final place we see her in this story is we see her at the cross. Thirty-three years later, she's standing there. And Jesus' final instructions to a disciple before he's crucified are, please look after this woman who's looked after me. And these instructions are given not to her own sons. Have you ever noted that in the story? Like her sons were with her um, for a good part of the story, right? But when he's crucified and hanging on the cross, they're somehow, we don't know where, we don't know how, but they're long gone. She's had to follow Jesus while her own children abandoned her. She's had to escape early in her life to Egypt. She's carried the weight of knowing that uh, Herod wanted to kill her son way back then. And because they couldn't find him or didn't know who he was, Herod killed all of the children under two in the town that she grew up in, or in the town that Jesus started in. She carries the weight of that responsibility. And in the end, Jesus has to hand the responsibility for carrying her in her old age. Not to her sons, because they've abandoned her, but to uh, another disciple. The word that Mary uses uh, here uh, for servant isn't uh, a small word. It isn't a light word. It means bond servant. It means essentially slave. Mary has taken this responsibility, this act of the will, this sovereign move of God in her life, and she said, uh, not, not said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just take this on board as a little part of my life. I'm not just going to, like, yeah, okay, that's good. I'm just, it's good to know that while I do all the regular stuff I'm going to do. She takes her life and she says, okay, now I'm no longer a woman who is just a free actor in the world. Uh, I haven't been sold into slavery. Nothing like that has happened to me. But I am going to see my life through the lens of a slave. I'm going to see my life through the lens of a servant. And I'm absolutely going to serve the purpose of God. Understanding myself to be under his will. I'm going to give up my freedom. I'm going to give up my choices. I'm going to give up uh, whatever it is that she had to give up to absolutely be 100% invested in this purpose and in this plan of God. 
This is 100% a sovereign act of God, and this is 100% Mary's responsibility. And she holds both of things, those things in her heart. So what does that look like for you and me to live in that way? What does that look like for us uh, to carry uh, a sense that God is moving in our lives, the Holy Spirit is moving around us, he's moving in our businesses, he's moving in our homes, he's moving in our families, he's moving in our relationships. Good things are happening that we can see and testify to and be excited about. Bad things are happening that we don't understand, that we don't want, that we don't like, that seem very costly to us. Is there a way that you can live your life in the midst of all the circumstances that you're faced with and trust deeply in the sovereignty of God while at the same time using all of your might and all of your strength and all of your power and all of your God-given authority and all of your God-given freedom and all of your God-given autonomy to play your part in that story without calling yourself a victim or without tapping out and saying, no, I, I just can't handle this. We're called to that level of responsibility and that level of excitement about God's will. And when you get to the Magnificat, when we get to this uh, incredible poem uh, that Mary offers um, after she's met with Elizabeth, she meets with Elizabeth, she goes to see her cousin. Uh, it's a 70 mile journey roughly from there, so for some reason she's pregnant. Uh, she decides to go on a trip as a woman. She's probably taking Joseph with her. She walks 70 miles or so uh, to go and see uh, her cousin Elizabeth. And uh, her cousin Elizabeth's child in her womb, uh, John the Baptist, leaps inside a rebellion. And Elizabeth says, wow, look at you. It's amazing that I get to hang out with this woman. Why did you come and talk to me, Mary? Uh, you who believe so much in the purpose of God. And, and Mary begins to just give this song of faith. This song of faith. And what we can see in it, in two elements of this song, is something about her understanding and something about her posture that allows her in a really powerful way to carry, one, the idea of the sovereignty of God, and two, uh, the idea of her responsibility. The first part of the song, um, we just got a little excerpt from it here, um, not, not the full uh, four verses, are Mary's response. This is what God has done for me. This thing has happened, this responsibility has come on me, this call of God has come into my life. And she says this, she responds to it saying, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. Now what has Almighty done for her? He saddled her with a child that will force her to flee to Egypt. He's uh, saddled her with a birth that is unexplainable to her friends and to her family and can only be seen as sinful by those who don't believe in the sovereign work of God. He saddled her with uh, the responsibility of walking through life with her son and seeing his suffering and ultimately one day seeing him die on the cross for her own sins. But her response to this responsibility, her response to this challenge, her response to the difficulty of being a part of God's plan in her life is this. She says, look, he is mighty. He has done great things for me. He has done great things for me. 
He, blessed am I. Behold, all generations will call me blessed. She has a perspective on the suffering and the challenge and the difficulty that she is about to face that sees all of it as an incredible blessing of the Lord. Do we see the responsibility in our lives? God's sovereign working around us and causing things to happen that we don't necessarily like very much. Can we see those things as a blessing? from the Lord can we see those things as joy can we see those things as things that the Lord has done for us and then in the face uh, of this in the face of this sense of uh, responsibility that she's going to bear in those moments she must have gone back to this poem, this song that we see recorded in the book of Luke. Uh, the latter verses now are um, talking about what God has done in the world. And, and, and note the tenses of what she's saying. Jesus is still inside of her. He's not yet born. And she's saying this. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled, going on to verse 53 and 54 that aren't in the, on your screen, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. She sees in this difficulty, in this sovereignty, that God is doing something so much more in her life that is going to result in, in something that will happen in the future that will be seen as a mighty work of God. That her small actions, her changing diapers, her laying a baby in a manger, wrapping and swaddling clothes, uh, carrying baby Jesus to Egypt, losing him in the temple, all of these parts of the story of Mary's interaction with Jesus, she sees in them a future a future that has already happened. Her confidence that God is using her little life for mighty work is unbelievable. He has already done these things through this moment right now. She sees it all in the past tense. It's incredible. And so these are two things I think that are really important for us in our posture as we uh, understand the sovereignty of God and we understand our place of responsibility in it. We need to understand that when the sovereign God is moving among us, it's a gift. It's not a chore. The things you're responsible to do to serve in God's kingdom, to serve in God's body, that's not responsibility that's on you. That's not uh, a burden that's on you. That's a gift. You're called to minister to your friends. You're called to lower your standard of living, to give to the poor. That's not, oh man, this Christianity sucks. This is really hard. This is a gift. 
This is a gift, and this gift is a gift that gives from generation to generation to generation to generation. Uh, the acts of service, the acts of love, the acts of doing the things of the kingdom that you're called to do here now in your life will reverberate into the future. Because the sovereign God is working through your small obediences in mighty ways that you will never, ever see. But he's working in you. You carry the responsibility. We see this uh, even really simply in the way that we're saved. And maybe there's someone here who hasn't given their heart and their life to Jesus. I mean, we, we see this tension all over the scriptures. How do you sustain your faith? How do you sustain your life with God? How do you sustain your salvation? Well, in verse in First Peter verse one four to five, it's kept in heaven for you who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for salvation. God's power is guarding your life. God's power is guarding salvation for you. It's holding it for you. His sovereignty is at work and it's active. Who will be saved, though? but the one who perseveres to the end. Matthew 24, 13. God's sovereignty, our responsibility. How do you become a Christian? Well, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him, says Matthew, in, in, or says uh, Jesus in John, chapter 6, 44. In Acts, Peter preaches... Uh, the most famous sermon, 3,000 added to the, in his, the number of, of Christians in that day. They respond saying, what can we do? What must we do to be saved? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. God's sovereignty, our responsibility. Uh, we see this in one verse in Revelation chapter 3 verse 20, Jesus saying, behold, I come to the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him. How is Jesus knocking at your door? Sovereignly drawing you to the Father. and calling you to be absolutely responsible as a human being for opening that door. And then he comes in. He is sovereign, and we are responsible. We hold these things in tension. So let's just take a moment and just quiet our hearts. And just ask yourself, where have I just had a cheap idea of God's sovereignty that sort of allowed me to just divorce myself from responsibility in the world? Do you have areas like that in your life? Or where on the other side have you taken this burden all on yourself and said, hey, I, I, I'm, I'm bearing the weight of the world on my shoulders. I, 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 I can't do this anymore and take encouragement from the idea that the sovereign God wants to work through you in your life in a more powerful way than you can ever see or ever know. How do you as a person
You need to steer the vehicle of your life more to the center of the road. Where are you on the journey between the ditches? Let's just have a moment of silence and just meditate for a moment with me and just ask the Lord to speak to you and show you where you are and give you a moment to maybe just nudge the steering wheel to a healthy view of God where his responsibility or where your responsibility and his sovereignty can be held in tension. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Community Church, visit ovcchurch.ca.